Today's reading is Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What will make you happy today? A <laughs> uh, pretty easy question for most of us. By the way, if uh, you hear something good today, it's not amen, it's oh, okay, all right, that's all I'll say, all right. There was a blog that um, explored what makes you happy. That was the, the question posed to a lot of people, and a lot of people chimed in with their answers. Um, my wife got a job interview was one of the answers. Um, that makes me happy. Focusing on the great things in my life makes me happy. Running makes me happy. Makes me want to beat my head against a wall, but to each his own. Uh, me time makes me happy. Beer and pizza. And there's probably no question about happiness that can go without that answer, I guess. Uh, another question, uh, answer was coffee and bandwidth, which is just an enlightened version of beer and pizza. That's how that works. Um, being on a boat last weekend, headed to the city this weekend, and catching a ball game next weekend, and the theme is the weekend, right? The weekend is what makes me happy. Somebody said, I can't remember the last time I was ha- truly happy. Grilled cheese for dinner makes me happy. Once I can get past, there are a lot of answers like this, the breakup, get past the debt, get past the health concern, then... I'll be free and I'll be happy. How many of you are maybe there in your mind? If I could just get over the hump, if I could just reach that point, if I could just get through this current thing, then I would be happy. And those are all familiar voices. And they give us a picture that's quite different from the picture that God will give us in Psalm chapter one as we begin to believe um, that happiness, if, if we're independent of God's thinking, then happiness to us is this mysterious cocktail of right stuff and right circumstances and enough right decisions and right pleasures and just the right amount of wealth. And if we could mix all of those things together, then we'll be happy. The problem is that even if you could, uh, we understand that those don't last long term. And as we try to chase this thing called happiness, we get skeptical that it's even possible. And so the psalmist does something incredible. He starts off with this word, blessed. And there are a couple things right off the bat we need to draw from that. The first of which is this, being blessed, being happy is absolutely possible. That is a huge, huge statement. When you're a kid and young, you think that happiness is just natural because it just comes to you. It's just what should be. But the older you get, the more informed that you get. Happiness seems to be more and more elusive. We believe after a while 
that it's just not natural at all. And so we have to begin chasing after it. And we understand that that's a dead end. Um, Ask any rich and famous person about their chase for happiness. Jim Carrey is uh, quoted, I love this quote by him. Uh, He said this, I wish that everybody could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of. Think about that. Do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Oh, we don't find happiness in stuff. Although, statistically, we think, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to, I mean, just give me a chance, right? Um, But statistically, wealthy people commit suicide more than any other demographic. Do you realize this? And we think, oh, but I would be the exception. (laughs) No, no, you wouldn't. You don't want that. And when people don't find happiness, the tendency is to become cynical that anybody can even be happy. Uh, Ernest Hemingway has a great quote. Um, He saw this as becoming intelligent. And the idea behind it is that it's more common for those who don't understand the way the world really works. Happiness is more common for kids because they don't know how the world works. And we say things like, oh, just wait until you get out in the real world. And that thought led him to this quote, happiness in intelligent people is the rarest thing that I know. And for some of us who have chased after happiness, who have come up empty, empty, the final verdict that we've given isn't, is that it isn't even attainable, so don't waste your time. And so for the psalmist in Psalm 1 to right off the gate, right out of the bat, <laughs> I kind of mixed those around, didn't I? That's all right. The psalmist says it's absolutely possible, and for some of you in this room, that is huge. That's a statement that you needed to hear today. Happiness is possible. Number two, it's being blessed is the goal. Not only that happiness is possible, but happiness is absolutely the goal. The first word of the entire book of Psalms is blessed. And why is that? Surely it's more important as a Christian to be righteous or to be obedient or to be loving than just happy, right? And those things are absolutely important. And I will argue that those things are the means to happiness, that obedience will actually foster our happiness. But in the end, it is God's goal for his people, this idea of blessing. From the first pages of creation, where he blessed Adam and Eve, to the very last pages of the book, blessed is the one who keeps all of the words written in this book. From beginning to end, God only wants blessing for us. Now, that's not the current message about God, (laughs) is it? But this word blessed means that we have well-being in every area of our life. When we get to Jesus right in the middle, he will preach the Sermon on the Mount, and he will say this, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy, blessed are the people that mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the goal, to be blessed, to be happy. So let's define blessed this way today. Blessed is a life of delight and fruitfulness with a sense of worth and purpose. That's what it means to be happy. 
And that's God's long-term plan. And the psalmist celebrates it even from the very first word of the book. Blessed is the man. Happiness is possible and it is the goal of God. And the first step that we have to take as we have a chance to find this is found in verse one. Blessed is the man who does not do a few things, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the seat of scoffers. By the way, do you see a progression there? Walk, stand, sit. Some voices in our lives we just walk with, some we stand beside, and others we actually sit down with. And whatever voices we entertain in our life, whatever we hang around, the people that we camp out by, that's what ends up shaping us. Uh, You've probably heard it said that you are the average of the five people that you hang around the most. And so what are those people like? That's what you will be like. And the happy man knows this. And so he chooses those five people very wisely. He rejects the voices around him that are negative, that are wicked, that are sinful, that are scoffers. And we get that because happiness, the first step to it is rejecting all of those negative things in our lives, not letting those things get a foothold. Uh, Things like anger, things like bitterness, things like worry and despair and anxiety, we try to stay far away from those. But after we turn from those, then, then what? Where do we find happiness? And what the psalmist gives us is two pictures. The first is in verse three. He gives us a picture of, the tr- of a tree. And take, a, take note of this tree. He says, he's like a man, like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So this tree is planted. It's put where it is on purpose. It's not there by accident. Somebody made a way for the tree. They cared for it. They provided for it. They nurtured it, grew it, pruned it. They did all the things necessary so that the tree would be blessed. Where is it planted? It's planted by streams. It has the luxury of being connected to something outside itself. It's rooted, but it's rooted into something that will give it constant life. Note that it's not just one stream, it's multiple streams. And that was a common way in this day and age to lay out gardens, massive gardens, or great big orchards so that there was life given to the tree. So blessedness isn't manufactured by the tree, it is given to the tree. And so it can handle the dry seasons, no matter how hot it gets, no matter what the weather is, no matter how little rain there is, it can handle it. And it says, this tree bears its fruit in season. Catch that. There's not fruit all the time. There are times of unfruitfulness. Winter actually comes to this tree. There's this cyclical seasonal fruitlessness and that's to be expected. And that's very realistic in my life. I don't know about yours. Even when there is winter time, there is still growth going on. The roots are getting deeper, they're getting thicker. And then when the fruit comes back, there's even more of it. This tree has a leaf that doesn't wither. A lot of people will look at Psalm chapter one and they'll look at this tree and they'll say, oh, that means it's an evergreen. And I'm not sure about that, but what we can say is for sure this, this tree has a never ending source of renewal. 
And the bottom line for this picture of the tree is that we need to, that we need to understand is this, circumstances don't matter for the tree. The tree affects the environment around it. It gives fruit to those around it. It's being a blessing to those around it. Why, how? Because of the stream that it knows. And a happy man, a blessed man, is like that tree. And the summary statement that the psalmist makes is this, all he does prospers. And that fits right into the happiness definition that we just laid out. There's an opposing picture in verse four. The opposing picture is chaff. Chaff. In wheat threshing and harvesting, chaff is what's left over when the grain is separated from the stalk. The the chaff is like the outer husk, the shell that has surrounded the grain. And once the grain is taken, this outer shell, this husk's, Uh, they're almost weightless. And to separate grain from the chaff was pretty simple. You just throw it all up in the air in a gentle breeze and only the grain will come back down because the breeze will blow away the chaff. And unlike the tree, I want you to think about the fact that this chaff has no roots, it has no stability, it has no weight, it's blown wherever the wind is blowing, it's only an empty shell, there's a superficiality about it, there's a hollowness about it, there's no substance, there's nothing at all inside, and the chaff is about the externals. It's not planted like the tree, it's disposed of. It's not fruitful, it doesn't have the ability to produce anything, it's useless and worthless. It's not evergreen, like the tree, it's temporary, and its end is disintegration, and it will perish. It's quite the opposite of the tree. With the tree, circumstances don't matter, but with the chaff, circumstances are all that matters. And it is totally affected by the environment around it and the circumstances that come its way blow it away to its end. And there's a clue about happiness in those two pictures, and it's this, that happiness is not found in controlling your environment, but in controlling your allegiance. That's where happiness is found. One picture has an allegiance that means instability and disintegration and there's a void of substance. There's nothingness because of the circumstances. But the other picture has an allegiance that means it's rooted and it's stable in every circumstance and it's able to handle droughts and it's constantly renewed so that fruit is inevitable despite the circumstances around it. And the difference between the two pictures, between the tree and the chaff, is the allegiance. So let me, let me just ask this today. This is the question, this is the test for you to decide where your allegiance is. And the test is this, where is your delight? Where is your delight? Look at, you can see it in verse two. But his delight, happy, blessed is the man. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And those two phrases The law of the Lord and delight, this is poetry, right? So we have to do some connecting of the dots. And here is the picture of the tree and the 
uh, stream is the external factor that determines the blessedness. But here in verse two, the external factor is what? It's the law of the Lord. And so the law of the Lord is the same as the streams of water. So just as the stream gives blessedness to the tree, the law of the Lord is what gives blessedness to the man. It allows him to be full of delight and fruit and value and purpose. It allows him to be, we could say, happy. And so when we, say, when we think of the law of the Lord and when we think of delight, what we think about is, okay, here's a guy who loves God's way of living, God's rules for living, and he keeps the laws and the rules. He delights in them. So we could say it this way, that the key to being blessed, like a tree living by water, streams of water, is that we are constantly in God's word and loving God's laws enough that we keep them, okay? That's the secret to happiness. Now, a couple things about that. First, there is absolutely truth in that statement. If I take God's laws and live by them, then I am better off in every category of life. I'm better off financially. I'm better off in my marriage. I'm better off relationally as a parent, employee, employer. I'm probably not in jail. I don't have any debt. There's no addictions. There's no regrets. There's no guilt. There's nothing to keep me up at night. All of those lend to a happy life. We could say it this way. The first step to a happy life is not to kill anybody, right? Yes, you would agree. But that can't be the final answer. This is the place where we would usually end the sermon and we, I would just say, you know what, okay, to be happy, read more scripture and obey more laws and then we would sing, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy. Some of you know it, <laughs> that's an older one. To be happy in Jesus, the first step to being happy is to obey and that's true, Right? But there's a problem with only saying, just read more scripture and obey more and you'll be happy. And we'll expose that problem with a question. I don't want you to answer the question without thinking it through with me. Here's the question. Can you really, truly delight in the law of the Lord? Can you do it? Let's just take a few of his laws. Maybe the last three of the big 10 that he gives us, stealing, false witnessing, uh, coveting. Uh, so how are you doing just with those? Have you ever wanted some, something so much that you just took it and then you lied about taking it? Guess what? You've disobeyed those three laws. You can't even keep the last three if you've done that. And I guess that probably most of us have. The law has one job, and its one job is to tell us that we are guilty. You've done wrong. So I ask the question again, can you delight in that? We are actually worse off if we listen to Jesus. He'll preach in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not just the law that you're guilty of, but it's the thought in your heart before you ever act. Are you kidding me? Wow. He says, hey, maybe you've never lied, but you've thought about it. Maybe you've never committed murder, but you've thought about it. Maybe you've never committed adultery, but you've thought about it. And if you've had the thoughts, Jesus says, then you are guilty. 
question again. Can you delight in that? Not if you're honest about it. There is no delight to be found in something that only points out the problem but does not offer you any solution. The law is like a flashlight. Maybe you're in the middle of the night, you're stuck on the side of the road, you have your hood popped up and there's a dark engine. You pull the flashlight out and you can immediately, when you turn that on, you see the problem. Oh, there's green goo all over my engine. You see the problem, but the flashlight can't do anything to fix the problem. And that's the law. In the end, all it can tell us is you're guilty and it can't do anything more for us. That's why we can't quit in a text like this and say, well, just obey more and you'll be happy. For the first few steps of obedience, that's probably true. But the ultimate reality is that no one can keep the law enough to be happy because God's rules and laws crush us. And that's the opposite of delight. This is what Paul struggled with in Romans chapter seven. He says it this way, I find it in me that there's a law that I, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's a wretched man. He wants to delight in the law of God. In his heart, he does. But then he sees his hand reaching for his neighbor's wallet. And he, he knows he can't keep the law. And he asks, how do I delight in a law that ends up burying me? How do I avoid that kind of despair? Because there is delight to be found in God's laws, but only when I obey it. And I can't ever obey it fully. I'm a wretched, wretched man. What's the answer? And here's the answer that Paul gives. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ. There's the answer. When the church father, uh, Augustine, looked at Psalm chapter one, he had an immediate question and he writes about it. He says, blessed is the man. The man, who is the man? And he comes up with this answer. Who is the man if not Jesus in Psalm chapter one? I want you to carry that thought on. It's not a stretch to see Jesus throughout all of Psalm chapter one. Jesus is the man. Jesus is the one who comes incarnate into the world of sinners. He takes on flesh. He dwells among us, but he does not join in our sin. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He never sat with the scoffers. Jesus is the tree planted, sent by God, planted by streams, drawing life from his father. Jesus is the one who is fruitful and never withering, even in the season of death on a cross. Jesus is the righteous one who is known by God in verse six, who can stand in the assembly of the righteous. Jesus is the only one who ever truly delighted to keep the law perfectly day and night. He's the only one who ever was ever able to delight in God's law because he kept all of them. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says of Jesus that his delight was to keep the will of God. And then in verse 10, he says, it is by that will 
the will to keep the will, the will of God, that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In the psalm, we read it this way, blessed is the man. And when we read that happiness is delighting in God's direction of our ways, we have to understand that Jesus is the only one who did that absolutely. He has paid our, the, the debt for our sin through his personal delight of God's law, his keeping of it. He is the righteous one known by God. And the only way that we can really truly delight in the law of God is to know that Jesus has kept the law of God for us when we couldn't keep it ourselves. And that's the thought that Paul lays out in Romans chapter seven, and he ends it this way. And you memorized this a couple weeks ago. He says, because of that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna call the band up and the conclusion of Psalm chapter one is that there has to be a choice. There's a choice that has to be made. And the choice is between being known and being unknown. Being known means that I'm planted, I'm connected to a life-giving stream. I'm righteous, I'm blessed, I'm happy because of a man, a savior named Jesus who was all of those things for me so that I could be as well. But to be unknown means that I have no roots. I'm disconnected from the renewals of life. I'm withered and blown away by the wind. It's the way of the wicked. It's the way of those who perish. It is to say this, that I can't remember the last time I was truly happy. And being blessed is not only possible, but it's the goal. It's the will of God for you and me, and it comes down to your allegiance. Where is your delight? And you show your delight by what you think about. Uh, I skipped over probably the most important phrase in the psalm. I left it to the end. It says this, on his law, this blessed, happy guy meditates day and night. We've been talking about one thing every week that you can do for it to, to be your best you this week. And here it is this week. I want you to remind yourself every day, daily, what Jesus has done for you. Do you know what that's called? It's called to med it's, it's meditation. That's what that is. Meditate this week. Preach to your heart. Tell your heart the truth that this circumstance, whatever it is, it's not gonna dry me up because I have the living water underneath me. I want you to preach to your heart this truth that it's not up to me to do enough, but Jesus has already done enough to pay my penalty. And that's a delight both day and night. I wanna think about that all the time. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, has Christ put away your sin? If he has, be as happy as the days are long in the sweet summertime and be as bright as a garden in the month of June and sing like angels, for you have more to sing about than even the angels have. It is not a coincidence that the first word of this psalm is blessed. You know what the very last word of the psalm is? Perish. That's the choice. Do I wanna be happy? Or do I want to die? 
first word blessed is about being known in Jesus. The last word is about being unknown because I don't know Jesus. The good news today is that Jesus invites you to come and know God because he is the one that is known by God. Father, we thank you that we are known, we have this ability to be known because of what Jesus has done. Our happiness is at stake today and it depends on what we do with Jesus. And so could we ask our hearts today, would you help us to evaluate ourselves and to determine where our delight is today, God? And would you help us to know that living water today, Jesus Christ, who, who has put away our sin. Because if we're in that boat and we're right with you, we're blessed and we can be happy. All the happiness in our life will spring from that foundation. We thank you that it's Jesus that makes that possible. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said, like you to stand and uh, I want you to sing about this happiness that we have in Jesus, that he is the righteous one who has gained access to God for us.